Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to take your, your copy of God's Word and go back to Psalm. Psalm Psalm 42 is where we will be this morning. We had started a series and it was interrupted for a few weeks on um, reviving the soul. And so far in this series, we've discussed reviving the soul through the Word, through the, or, or at the table, um, through prayer, and through fellowship. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about reviving the soul through remembering. Psalm 42, verse 1. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, at your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This psalm is probably, these two psalms that we just read were probably one psalm, Together, Psalm 42 and 43 in our English Bibles was probably one complete psalm that was broken into two pieces. 
And here, if you read in uh, the very first part of Psalm 42, it says to the choir master, a maskil of the songs, uh, excuse me, of the sons of Korah. Now, if you have in your Bibles little headings like I have above chapter 42, I have, why are you cast down, O my soul, question mark. If you have headings like that in your Bible, those are helpful to us. Those aren't part of the original scriptures. Those are just things that translators have added to help us kind of understand a little bit of the themes of that chapter or whatever. But what I just read to the choir master, a mascal of the songs of Korah, those are in the original and part of the inspired book of scripture. And so we can learn from that. And mascal is something that is unfamiliar to us uh, uh, as English speakers, but to the people that this was originally written to, it was generally a teaching psalm or something that was written down to music, but as a way to instruct or as a way to, to teach something so that people could learn a valuable lesson from. The sons of Korah, those are people that were associated, they were descendants of Korah, and they were associated with the service and music of, of the sanctuary in David's reign. And so these were people who were equated with worship and, and, and people coming together, and they were trying to give us something that would teach us here. We've said that today we're going to be looking at how to revive our souls, and one of the things is one of the ways to do this through remembering. I've said this before, and I don't need to remind you, but we are people who are prone to forget, are we not? We have to set alarm clocks for things. Our smartphones have alerts and reminder features that will tell us when we need to do something. When we make an appointment with someone, we have to write it in the calendar. Before the service started, I had two individuals where I had my phone out and we were setting up a a time to get together this week. And I put it in my phone on my calendar because if I don't, don't, there's a good chance I might forget. So we put things down because we need to be reminded. Some people, the the age-old one was to tie a a string around a finger so that they would remember why it's there. My wife, what she would do, I don't know if she still does this or not, but but a lot of times, when I remember when we first got married, she would take the ring off her one finger and put it on a different finger uh, because it would feel unusual to her or unnatural to her and remind her of something. We've all done different things like that. We've had mnemonic devices or or things that will help us remember. People talk about memory palaces and whatnot to help us remember things. The point is this, we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget not only things that are unimportant, but we're prone to forget very important things. Medications. A lot of times people have to have pill reminders or something like that because they will forget to take their medication and that is what's giving them or helping them have life and that is what's giving, helping, giving them health and yet it's so important to them but yet they could forget even something as important as that. One of the reasons why we need to have a regular intake of God's Word and a regular time together is to ward off forgetfulness. And so one of the reasons why we gather here is to cause ourselves to remember things. And last week we were able to have the Lord's Supper here together and we talked about how that's a, a way to remember. So we need to remember some things. And I think that this, this psalm here helps us. David here is pouring out his soul to his God. He is, he is hurting. And yet he, has, he prescribes how, or the sons of Korah, I should say, describe how we can coach ourselves through these times of discouragement, 
spiritual despondency. So first of all, if you're taking notes in, your, in the outline there, we need to remember the blessing of corporate worship. Remember the blessing of corporate worship. You see, there were three annual pilgrimages that the Jewish people would go to every year that they would bring sacrifice and offerings with a, a great sense of rejoicing, and that was the Passover, the first fruits in the tabernacles. And here is these times where they would come together. And in verse 4, this is what he's talking about here. The author is saying, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, colon, and he tells us what they are. He says, How I would go with the throng, with the congregation, with the great many of people, and I would lead them in procession to the house of God. So as he was coming to the festivals, as they were coming to the temple, as they were coming to all the places where they were going to worship, he was saying that this is what I need to remember. I need to remember the blessing it was to be with God's people. I need to remember what a blessing that it was to be worshiping together with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude, keeping the festival, as it says in verse 4. And so corporate worship is a blessing because we get a glimpse of the breadth of God's grace. You see, the reason, one of the reasons, and it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons why it's important for us to come together and worship God together is because it will encourage our souls because we look around and we see the breadth of God's grace. We see what He's doing here. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has had things that we've gone through this week that have been difficult or in our lives that have been difficult, and yet you're here today right now. And we've just sung some awesome songs together, and the singing was great this morning, and we were praising God together, and it was encouraging my soul because as I started thinking, I was thinking about every person here, and I'm praying for people, I'm praying for my own soul, and and I'm singing praise to God, I'm saying all of us, we have a story. We have a story of God's grace that has been shown in our lives. And even if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're not a follower of Christ, God's grace, you still have a story of God's grace because God's grace, He gives what's called the, what theologians refer to as common grace. And He gives and He shows His goodness to even those who are not followers of Him. So all of us have a story of God's grace and we look around and we can see that. More importantly, we should be able to talk about that with each other. We should share stories of God's grace with each other. We should share accounts of how God has been real to you this past week. One of the things that we appreciated that we did last Sunday night when we got together for our prayer meeting was we had a time of works of God testimony where we shared, what is God teaching you? What is God doing in your life? It was neat to hear people stand up and say, this is what God has taught me, or this is how God answered this prayer, or this is what I've I've grown to appreciate about God. And that brings encouragement to our souls. And so I think that as, as this author of the psalm, is, he's, he's trying to revive his soul. He's trying to, to coach himself out of this despondency, if you will, and this spiritual downcastness. He says, but then I remember. I remember going together. I remember being with other people. And I remember seeing that they were worshiping God together. And we have the opportunity every Sunday right here for that. It encourages our soul, and it reminds us of the breadth of God's grace. Because, see, here's the thing, is that all of us, if you want to use the illustration of like a puzzle, all of us are a piece to a puzzle. And if one of those puzzle pieces are missing, it's obvious. I think I put a picture, I have a picture here of a puzzle, and you see this picture here, and it's just kind of a nondescript puzzle there. But the very first thing when I saw that picture, what was the first thing that stood out to me when I saw that? The missing piece, right? I didn't, I didn't say, man, that's a big bale of hay. 
I didn't say, oh, wow, the, the, the way they captured the sunlight is in, in, in this time was great. I didn't look at the house. I didn't look at the trees or anything. The first thing I saw when I looked at it is they don't know how to finish a puzzle. The first thing I thought of is something's missing here, right? And so it doesn't matter how big the puzzle is. We could have a 5,000-piece puzzle. But if one piece is missing, it makes a difference for the overall thing, right? And it doesn't matter what that one piece is. That one piece might be part of a leaf on a tree of a picture of a forest but yet we would see that it's missing. Here, it's a pretty nondescript uh, puzzle piece that's missing here. It's just part of the field. It's not even part of the house or anything. But yet it's missing and our eyes are drawn to it because it in its insignificance of, the pick, uh, of what it is to the whole is actually much greater in its significance. The size of it doesn't matter. And so when I look around and I see our church and our congregation, I think all of us were like puzzle pieces. All of us here, we have different roles and we have different perspectives and we have different things that we need to bring to this assembly here. And when one of us is missing, one of us isn't engaging, and one of us isn't fulfilling the role that God has for us, it makes a big deal. You say, well, yeah, but I, I don't teach and, 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 I, and I don't have uh, these responsibilities and, and I'm not in front of people and I'm not musical and all that. It doesn't matter. You're part of the piece, part of the puzzle here. And so when I think, when, when this author here in Psalms, when he says, well, here's what I remember. I remember going with the thrones. I remember going with the congregation. And I remember seeing everyone worship God together. That brings encouragement in my soul. It brings encouragement to my soul because I, I remember hearing people worship. See, the point is this, is that we need each other. When we come together, we're reminded that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. We are part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ. And so when we come together every Sunday morning, there should be a blessing of corporate worship. It should remind us that God's grace is so broad and that He is working in so many different people's lives and that we are part of something greater and bigger than ourselves. But a lot of times we tend to individualize our experience with God or our relationship with God. We tend to think of, well, I'm okay with God because I read my Bible today. Or I'm okay with God because I prayed this week. Or I'm okay with God because I was tempted to do something and I didn't do it. And I applaud that and that's wonderful and that's great. It's a testimony to God's grace in your life. But if we're not investing in other people's lives, and if we're not part of this corporate gathering here, we're missing out on a huge part of God's design to encourage our souls. So, involve yourselves with each other's lives. We need each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He says, you, the Corinthian church, are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was commending this church, and this church had a lot of problems in it. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, if you were going to study it, Paul took much of his time dealing with problems in the church there. But yet, what does he say to them in the first part of the chapter when he's first writing to them? He says, you're not lacking any gifts. God has given you everything you need in this congregation. But if people weren't participating, they would be withholding what God's plan was. We need each other. We're part of the body of Christ. First, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as, the, for as in one body, we have many members. 
And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortations, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here he's saying there, the author there, Paul, is saying that we all have different gifts, but yet together we are one and we need each other. One other passage. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can hold your place in Psalm 42 because we'll come right back. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If we're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 959. We're talking about how that we need each other. That we're part of the puzzle of God's grace. And it's a blessing to be part of a corporate, uh, of corporate worship because we're getting a glimpse of the breadth of God's grace here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 12 it says this, For just as the body is one, and it has many members, and all the members of the body, though member, are one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul is saying, We have many different parts to our human bodies. We have fingers, we have eyes, we have noses, we have toes, etc., etc. But we have one body. That's the way it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. It doesn't matter who you are, we're all part of one body. And all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member or one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Just as he chose. Did you catch that? So God is designing, even for this congregation here, people with giftness and people with with responsibilities and roles to play right here in this church. Let's continue on. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. The body compensates for each other. If you stub your, your, your toe, that affects how you walk. It, 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 it compensates for each other. And so here we have this, this saying that we are all part of something bigger than ourselves. But we're part of the church. We have roles and responsibilities that we need to fulfill here. And that should be a reviving work in our souls because there's a blessing of being with other people. 
We look at other people and we see how God is caring for them. We look at other people and we see what God is teaching them. And our souls can be encouraged. We see the breadth of God's grace here. So we see that we're a piece of the puzzle of God's grace, but we also see that we're not alone in the fight. We're not alone in the fight. Uh, I told you I'd go back to uh, Psalm 42, but before we do that, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 very quickly here. Hebrews chapter 11, using one of the Bibles provided for you again. It is page 1007. Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament there. We're not alone in the fight. One of the reasons why Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 are given to us is to encourage us in this very, very truth here. We see that there are so many people that live for God and God bless them and carry them through. In verse 4 it says this, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. In verse 5, But by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Verse 6, and without faith it's impossible to please him. And whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of uh, those who seek him. By faith Noah being warned of God, being warned by God concerning the events not yet seen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. In verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He didn't know where he was going, but he went out in faith. In verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. She had to believe the promise. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but seeing them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiled on the earth. Verse 17, where we're introduced again to Abraham and his faith. Jacob in verse 21 and 20. Moses in 23. We go throughout this whole entire text here, this chapter, we see people who have gone on before us and who have lived lives for the glory of God. And then, verse 12, verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these are all the people who have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We need encouragement. We need people to tell us to keep going. You know, just this last week uh, or so, I think it was last week, uh, we had uh, Iron Man in, in town here. You know what strikes me as, as unique about that event is that people cheer on people that they don't even know. I came across this, this, this picture on the internet. I mean, they're cheering people on that they don't even know. They have no idea who they are. I, I, I drove by and, and some lady's sitting with, in her lawn chair and she has a sign saying, you can do it. Now, I think that's good. And she's cheering them on, right? She's, she's trying to, to, to encourage them to go. Being with other people, and, and even if we don't know all the, the, the details about them, they know this person here in a comical way, he's saying, I don't know anything about you, but I know you're trying to run this race. I know you're trying to finish, and so I'm going to encourage you. I commend him for that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in front of thousands of people and having thousands of people cheer you on? I mean, it's football season. It's college football season. Can you imagine being in the stadium? So I put a picture of the same. Oh, how did that one get there? Um, 
Yeah. Oh, we'll go to a smaller stadium. So, um, so you can imagine you can imagine being there. Okay, um, stick with me in the sermon now. All right. <laughs> Um, you, you, you can imagine, can you imagine being there on the field and having, in this case at Camp Randall, you know, uh, uh, 80 to uh, about 85,000 people cheering you on for something. You can imagine that. I mean, it's a lot of pressure, but, but it's a lot of times where people are saying, hey, you can do this. We're cheering you on. I guarantee it. there's been more than 85,000 Christians who have gone this life before us who are cheering us on. And so we have, we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're part of something that, that, that when we come together and we represent not just this church, but we represent the church for the last 2,000 years that are following Jesus Christ. And we need to cheer each other on. We need to encourage one another because we are not alone in this fight. And so one of the reasons why we need to encourage our souls and it's reviving to our souls when we come together is that we say, listen, I am not alone in this pilgrimage. And this is the reason why transparency is so important in a church that we can be honest with each other and say, yes, I'm struggling with this. And so that we can help each other out. If we feel like we've got to put on a happy face in order to come to church, we're missing the point. We've got to be able to share with one another and say, you've got to encourage me. It's a hard week for me. I, 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 I'm having a hard time running this leg of the race. And this is why when we come together and we sing together and we spend time together, there's a blessing of corporate worship. And this is what the sons of Korah were trying to instruct us with when they said, and this is the thing that I will remember, how I used to go with the throngs to worship and I used to sing the, the, the glad songs and offer the festivals and rejoicing at the festivals. This is the reason why corporate worship is so important. Because it revives our soul. Remember the blessing of corporate worship. Corporate worship is a blessing because we find ourselves in the midst of God's designated tool for our spiritual growth. We are to build each other up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 say this, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to be, we are to be, uh, to build each other up because this is God's designated tool for our spiritual growth, the church. We're to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're going to encourage each other. We're to build each other up. And we can only do that when we have contact with each other or with each other. Let me just say this, that sometimes just showing up is an encouragement to other people. Just being part of the group and being part of there and being available for someone to talk to is encouraging. You know, if no one else, by just you showing up, if, if, no, if you encourage no one else, you encourage your leaders. It's encouraging to have people show up to events and say, yeah, we're going to get together and pray together. We're going to get together and worship together. It's encouraging. It's encouraging if, to no one else, to your leaders. So if you ever wonder how you can encourage your pastor, one of the ways, the simplest ways, is just show up. It's encouraging. You know, I, I was thinking about this. 
And I remember when I was a teenager and growing up in a church in Michigan, I do not know this man's name. He was an older gentleman, and I, I don't know anything about him. I'm sure I could find out. I'm sure my parents would know a little bit about him. But the only thing I know about him was something had happened in his life, and, and I'm not sure what it was, but he had a very large growth on his forehead that stuck out about three and a half inches, right in the middle, right there. And I remember thinking, man, this guy, I mean, he goes out in public. I mean, you know, and he, I'm a teenager at this time. A zit face, or face zit ridden, whatever you want to say, teenager, okay? And I'm worried about what the teen girls in the youth group are going to think about my zits. And here's this guy, every Sunday, never missed a Sunday, didn't care about what he looked like on the outside, wanted to be together with people. I remember going through some of those, those things as, as those insecurity issues that all teenagers go through, it seems like. And I remember for some reason, I saw this man walk down the hallway. I can still remember walking down the hallway, and I saw him, and I thought, if that guy can come to church every Sunday and not care what people think, I can. I'm going to outgrow my zits, maybe. He's not going to outgrow them, but it doesn't matter to him. He's here to be with God's people. That man had no idea. And I, he's not alive today, I'm sure. But he had no idea that just him being at church was encouraging an insecure teenager. You have no idea that just being together can be an encouragement. Of, of saying hi, of, of asking about someone's life. You have no idea what God is going to do with that. This is how our souls are revived of being brought together. So remember the blessing of corporate worship, but first, in order for us to, because he remembers that, he, he drew back on it, and that was what was encouraging him. But we have to know this, in order, it, we must first make those memories of being together before we can draw on them for encouragement. Let's come together and serve one another. So we need to remember the blessing corporate worship. Secondly and finally this morning, according to the text here, we need to remember the beauty of God. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Remember the beauty of God. See, there's a sense of, of beauty and love. And, and here we, in verse 8, we see His steadfast love is on display here. He says, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love. And so, no doubt, this is what the author was drawing back. And one of the things that he was saying, God's love is beautiful to me. And I remember that His love is steadfast. I remember that no matter what I do or the, time of, or the type of week that I have or, or whatever the situation of my life is, my God, is His love is steadfast. You read, you read through all of Scripture, that theme. You want to do a really cool study. Study that phrase, steadfast love of God. It is all over the Scriptures. Because God's love is steadfast. This is what encourages my soul and revives my soul. And if, I, if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling like I can't press on, I remember that my God's love is steadfast even in my moments of despair and despondency. God's Beautiful love 
is steadfast. So we need to remember that. But there's also not just love on display here about God, but power. There's a sense of beauty and power here. You know, we, we find ourselves in awe of displays of power. That's why we stand at a, at a waterfall. And we hear the rushing water. And we just know the, the energy that is in that, 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 that moment there. We find ourselves in awe of it. The human brain, we find ourselves in awe of. And you see pictures of like neurons and all these things. And I don't even know all about the human brain. But all I know is that it's, it, it just kind of takes my breath away. The power of the human brain that God has created. We find ourselves in awe of power. We find ourselves in awe of the power of like horsepower, diesel fuel, right? You know, we hear that, that, that motorcycle start up for some of us. Ooh, that rumble noise. Our car is a strong engine. Some of you are like, nope, don't do that at all. <laughs> but for some of us, it is. It's like you can feel it, feel it. You know what I'm talking about? So, all right. We're like, oh, wow. It takes our breath away. Power down. Look at how God's power is on display here. This deep call, deep calls to deep, verse 7. It's a roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It says, in the moment of this life, you're in control of all these things, and you're showing your power even amidst these things. But he also says, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mazar. Most likely that's a reference to the promised land, that that's a display of God's power that he brought his people out from bondage and into the promised land. But in verse 7, we see this, that there's no problem or difficulty that is insurmountable for God. Even though we might feel like it at the moment, God's power is greater than any situation we're in. This is the reason why he says, your waterfalls, because he knows that God's in control of those things. He says, your breakers and your waves. He says, you're in control of all this. I understand that they, they've, they've come over me, but... Your love, your steadfast love is going to sustain me because you are powerful. You are more powerful than any circumstance that I'm in. There's nothing that God cannot do. There's never a situation where God says, hmm, now that's a tough one. God is greater than any circumstance. I remember after Anuk and I, uh, we started dating and we eventually got engaged and married and we, we were talking about uh, the, the unlikely story of, of, in some ways, how God brought us together. Um, in fact, uh, when Anuk gave me my, my wedding ring, she had inscribed in the inside uh, verse from the, the reference, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where, and our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And she just wrote the word, wow, in there. Now, I can understand that she'd be amazed by me, but um, it was more the, the circumstances that God brought us together that she's referring to in, in that ring. And one of the things that she prayed about was she prayed that she would be able to be friends with her husband before they even started dating. Now, that seems like, okay, fine, but here's the difficult part. She was living in 
France or Belgium at the time. And she was only coming back to the States for a few months at a time to raise some support and then going back. It's really hard to develop a friendship with someone when you're in and out all the time. And so I remember her saying, I didn't know how God was going to do that, but she was asking that that would take place. Well, one of those times that she was back uh, where uh, I moved in to the apartment next door to where she was staying uh, when she was home for about six months or so, something around that at that time. And she was staying with a friend of mine, and we started doing things together. Uh, I would help them uh, change the oil and stuff on their car in exchange for pizza. Um, hey, I was a single guy looking for food anyway I could get it. Um, and, uh, you know, and we just started then playing some games together, things like that. Nothing. Uh, in fact, the first time we actually met, uh, I wasn't even in the dating game at all. Um, and so it, it, uh, we didn't know how, she didn't know how it was going to work out. But God worked it all out and answered her prayer request that we became friends. And then I became interested in her. She was a little bit slower coming around to the idea um, for obvious reasons. And um, uh, then God, in his mercy and in his grace, just kind of the way she describes it, he just kind of bonked me over the head and was like, here's your friend. And here's the guy I have for you. And uh, she was like, wow, how God answered that prayer. See, there's no problem that's too big for God. There's no problem that's insurmountable. We might think that there is. So no matter the financial hurdle, the uncertainty of work, the medical diagnosis, the weather forecast, the culture shift, or the unmet desire, God is powerful. And we see that in this text here. And so he says, I will remember you. So I want to ask a question this morning. Who is your God? I thought about this question and I came up with a response. Who is your God? My God is the God who split the Red Sea into two so the Israelites could walk on dry ground. My God is the God who raised the dead and gave sight to the blind. My God is the God who gave strength to legs that never walked and arms that never moved. Who is your God? My God is the God who stills the seas and calms the storms of life. My God is the God who says to advancing armies, no further. My God is the God who reigns supreme even when elected officials seek to defy him. My God is the God who loves the unlovable and gives peace to the anxious and calms a worried mother's heart. Who is your God? My God gives me purpose each day. My God teaches me to love my wife and children. My God gives patience to the impatient, grace to the hard-hearted, and a forgiving spirit to the oppressed. My God cares for the poor, exalts the humble, grants life, and brings His own to glory. Who is your God? My God is the God who speaks and light comes forth. My God is the God who is patient with a slow learner like me. My God is a God who is just in all of his decisions and who defines what is good. My God is the God who knows all things, yet his presence knows no boundaries. My God is the God who is trustworthy, kind, gentle, and loving. Who is your God? 
My God is the God who pardons sin and transformed lives. My God is the God whom the demons dread and the devil fears. My God is the God whose steadfast love endures forever. My God is the everlasting rock, the mighty one who will save, the one who rejoices over his own with singing and quiets us with his love. Who is your God? My God is a God with whom all things are possible because my God is powerful and he's beautiful because of it. That's my God. Therefore, I remembered you. That's the remedy for a despondent heart. We said it several times here at our church that we have to have a rock-solid belief in two attributes of God to carry us through this life. One, that He's sovereign. We've seen it again in this text, that He's powerful. The other is that He is good. Everything He does is good. We've seen it again in this text of His love, His steadfast love. So, if we find ourselves where our hearts needing to be revived, remember these things. Remember the blessing of corporate worship. Remember the beauty of God. And God will revive our souls. I want to note one last thing here. Note that the sign of things being right is our sincere offering of praise. Did you see that in verse 5 of chapter 42? He says, why are you cast down? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. And he says it again in chapter 42, verse 11. He says the exact same thing. I will again praise Him. And then in 43, and verse 5, he says it again three times. He says the exact same thing. And he says, when, when I am right with God, when my soul is encouraged, praise comes out of my mouth. But does your soul need revival? Remember the beauty of being with God's people. Remember the beauty of who God is. So if you want a homework assignment that some of you do, write on the top of your notes and just say, who is my God? And take the next week and answer that question. I guarantee it, it will revive your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to see what your word teaches us. I, uh, what I'm amazed is that you anticipate that our souls will need to be revived. So when we're down and we're discouraged and we find ourselves um, uh, in, a, in a season that's difficult, you're not surprised by that. And you've already given us the answer to it. And there's so many ways, as we've been seeing in this series, of how you have designed for us to be encouraged in our souls to be revived. But today... May we remember. May we remember the importance of being with your people. And may we remember how beautiful you are. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.